From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Tuesday. No, it's Wednesday. I'm sorry. My, my birthday's got me all messed up, Sean. Uh, Wednesday, July 24th, 2019. My first podcast is a 31-year-old. Um, in fact, my next podcast is a 31-year-old. will be actually one I recorded as a 30-year-old. You work in media, Sean Davis, and you know how weird this can be sometimes. Um, oh, you know it. With free tapes. Um, <laughs> so this is my first podcast as a 31-year-old, and then the next thing you folks listen to on Teeing It Up will be, will be my last podcast as a 30-year-old. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Anyway, uh, Sean Davison joins us to recap the Open, the 148th Open. Hi, Sean. How are you? Doing well. How are you? I am fine. Um, you know what's interesting? You've done a lot of teaching recently at Florida State. Um, and what's the hallmark of being a good teacher? It's figuring out what your students need and how best to reach them, right? Isn't that kind of the summary of what a good teacher is you 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 get the information you fill out you figure out how to distill it and then you give it to your students have i got that about right you got that perfectly okay i feel like shane lowry has been building towards this and it hasn't gotten a lot of attention but if you look at his wins they've gotten more and more and more impressive and he won this tournament on saturday because the weather prevented anybody from making a run on sunday but he made the key putts and the key short game shots to be able to do it. And for me, and for anybody who watches golf week to week to week, he's had a pretty good season. Um, he was second at the Canadian Open when Rory shot 61. He was T8 at Harbortown. He had a good finish at the PGA. He's been building to this. He just wasn't named Brooks Kepka and didn't shoot a 61 on Sunday and didn't have any of these things happen. But to shoot 63 on Saturday and to build and build and build, to me, Sean, was really impressive. He realized what he needed to improve in his game, and he figured out how to get it done. Well, you, you got it exactly right. Every aspect of Shane Lowry's game looked to be as good as I've ever seen it. And he looked completely comfortable in command. There was no sign of nerves. Um, aside from, you know, you get your typical Sunday nerves from guys who are trying to win that first major. You can see it early on. You know, he hadn't bogeyed holes one through seven all week long and picked up an early bogey on Sunday. Um, but other than that, everything looked to be in control. Everything looked to be absolutely smooth. And, and I had an idea going into Saturday that this man was going to be the champion golfer of the year. I didn't see a 63 on Saturday the last field, but you could just sort of tell. He was plodding along. He was shooting good scores. He really wasn't making any ghastly mistakes. The swing looked good. He looked like he was enjoying himself, and he was more or less at home. And to me, when I looked at all those things, it was just, for me, I just thought, it's his time. You know, and to your point, the way he won Bridgestone and the way he's contended at times this year, um, he won the Irish Open back in '09 as an amateur. Uh, 
everything just sort of pointed toward this being his weekend. And uh, when he put himself on that leaderboard, I wasn't shocked. And when he stayed on the leaderboard, I wasn't shocked. And when he ended up hoisting the trophy, I wasn't shocked. What's interesting to me about Shane is something Grant McDowell said. And kudos to Grant McDowell. I just want to give a shout-out to Grant McDowell. Here's a guy who's playing under this this big bird and him, Rory, Darren Clark, um, onto that Northern Ireland flag. And he makes the cut. He has a great weekend. And then he goes way away from wherever the 18th green was to go out to that set with Mike Tirico by the water. And he goes out there, and I thought said something really interesting about Shane, which is if you look at all the apexes of his shots, of his, of his drives, 70 to 80 feet kept it under the wind, these low kind of bullet shots, and it just was really impressive, the golf that he played. Um, and I, I, I just feel as if he... Um, you know, he, he was above average when it came to fairways, to uh, driving accuracy. He was above average when it came to greens and regulation. He was a little below average, but, but below the field, but, but better than the field average when it came to playing. There was no shot link, but he was better than, than the field. Um, he just had every facet of his game kind of working. If you look at the key putts Shane made, they were all set up, though, by good tee shots that stayed under the wind. And for me, you look at the bombers. So, you know, Tony Finau was the best bomber in those last six games. He, was, he, he shot even par. Shane shot one over. J.B. Holmes, a bomber imploded. Brooks never got his putter going, which we'll get to. But Shane, to me, hit the right kind of shots at the right time. And there's a guy whose name is Woods, Tiger, who did something very similar over the years. And that, to me is what was impressive about Shane. And I thought Graham McDowell made a great point bringing that up. He just knew how to play the right shot at the right time in the right moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, and as you go down that list of guys who could have, would have, maybe should have put more of a move on Shane that last day. Of course, the weather had a lot to deal with it. Um, I'm not sure if you saw the video that Justin Thomas posted on his Instagram and on his Twitter. That's um, hilarious. That was, yeah, that was great. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that is by far and away some of the worst weather I've seen at a golf course um, in some time. Just and hold on one second, Sean. For those who have not seen, um, go on the Justin Thomas' either Twitter feed or Instagram. This is a video by Mike Thomas, who, by the way, I've talked to on the phone before. He could not be a nicer guy, his father. Um, and you've got Justin Thomas's parents attempting to follow him in the worst of the weather, and it's just laughable. It is absolutely laughable. So please, folks, go on the Justin Thomas's Twitter feed or Instagram. It's just hilarious. Sorry, go ahead, Sean. So if you look at that, it's some of the worst weather I've seen on a golf course in some time. And, you know, I, I've seen some, some bad weather. I mean, I remember one year out at Bay Hill, we got what seemed to be the mother of all thunderstorms, and it sent a tree branch through a glass table next to a concession stand where I was seeking cover. 
I mean, it, I, I've seen some stuff on golf courses during PGA Tour events and during bigger golf events. That one took the cake. So you have to have a guy who's familiar with those kinds of squalls, that kind of episode, and who can keep those shots low. And there was one guy who didn't seem to have his golf ball blown all over the planet that day. And I thought Graham made a great point, as do you, uh, that it was Shane Lowry who was able to control the, tr- the trage, as Tiger likes to call it, and, uh, and really was effective from Thursday through Sunday. Uh, and the scene coming up 18 was incredible, by the way. I've never seen somebody celebrate with their caddy in the fairway like that before. You that... know, I don't think I ever have either. You know, I've seen the high fives and the fist bumps in the fairway. I don't think I've ever seen the full-on hug and... Exactly. I've seen I've seen guys who hit great shots and great moments. Maybe you were tied. Maybe you were in a playoff, and you know you're high fiving your caddy like, "Come on, we got this. We got this." This was celebratory. This was we've won the golf tournament. Like I've never seen that in the fairway. And I think he said it. Golf unites Ireland as one island, and. Uh, I think that was that moment of realizing, oh my God, I've just won the Open Championship in Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. And he had the leeway to do that when he was leading by a billion. I mean, at that point in time, you're on the green, you know it. It's over. And now you can enjoy the walk. Everybody's screaming for you. And you can just soak it all in. And you can start to celebrate a little bit early. Two, three, four, five, heck, even six putts. You're still going to win the Open. Um, so for me, that was that was the scene. And I know that they do typically allow the fans to file in after the golfers. But to me, with all the celebrations and whatnot, it was the most, I don't know, 18-hole East Lake kind of look that I've seen. And, and that's really the only two that I've ever seen where you can kind of feel the celebration as they're marching up 18 and fans are filing in around and behind. Eastlake with Tiger last year and Lowry this year at the Open. And I'm for it. I loved it. Sean, they did not file in. They ran in. That was, that's why it was so like, he's like, Sean, uh, sorry, uh, Shane nearly got lost in there. Yeah, he absolutely <laughs> did. He absolutely did. It was uh, awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. We're uh, talking to Sean Davison here on Teeing It Up. Um, you, you, you know what's interesting about this win, too, um, for Shane Lowry, is somebody asked me the other day, do you think anybody will make a run at, at Jack's 18? And I said no. Uh, uh, Luke Morrow asked me this on um, ESPN Radio Charleston. I'll be posting that podcast as soon as they give it to me. I have not been given the podcast yet of that. And I said, no. And I said, look at all the people who we have not gotten a major to yet. Ricky, Lee, Lee Westwood still still contended for a heartbeat. Um, Patrick Cantlay, Xander Shoffley, all these people who have contended this year. Jason Day still has only one major. Dustin still has only one major. I don't think anybody thought of the now number 18 player in the world, Shane Lowry. And if you go down the official World Golf Rankings, Matt Kuchar still does not have a major. Um, Like, all these people, Sean, we have to get through 
to get to to basically start cycling back towards guys winning multiple majors. Then you bring up guys like Matthew Wolf in this next wave. Think about this. This this folks is is what I want to bring up to to Sean here. So just bear with me, Sean. Brooks has has a bunch. Dustin has one. Rory has a bunch, but none in five years. Rose has one. Tiger, we know. Francesco, one. Bryson, none. Rom, none. JT, one. Cantlay, none. Shoffley, one. Finau, none. Fleetwood, none. Ricky, none. Gary Woodland, one. That's your top 15 in the world rankings. Look at how many people either have zero or one major, and that's the top 15 in the official world golf rankings right now. And Shane Lowry just basically took another major away from somebody trying to get to 18. And that's why I firmly believe in this era, if somebody gets to 7, 8, 9, 10 majors, that's equivalent to Jack's 18. I agree. I agree. I mean, and here's the thing. I went back and I looked when they were pulling up stats on Golf Channel on NBC as to first-time major winners over the last several years. If you go back to Jason Day winning the PGA in 2015, right. if I'm not mistaken, there have only been three guys who have become repeat major champions in the time since, or have been repeat major champions. You've got Jordan Spieth winning the Open two years ago, and by the way, it's still insane and mind-boggling that that's his last win on tour. Um, we will get to Mr. Spieth because I have a theory behind him, but go ahead. Yeah. You've got Tiger winning the Masters, so he's a 15-time major champion. And then you've got what Brooks has done in 17, 18, and now 19. Um, so you've got those three guys that have won multiple majors. And aside from them, unless I'm forgetting somebody off the top of my head, everybody else has been a first-time major winner going back to the PGA in 2015. It's been somebody new that we have talked about on these podcasts more than, let's see, three times with Brooks, one more, more than five times. It's crazy. It is absolutely crazy. All right, we're going to make a 180 here um, and talk about pace of play. Oh, boy. I feel bad for J.B. Holmes, and I probably shouldn't, but, I mean, he has got caught up in the weather and caught up in everything. Playing with, with Brooks Kepka may be the worst possible thing that could have happened to him because Brooks is one of the fastest guys out there. Um, he's probably part of that Tiger two-and-a-half-hour club that can play... 18 and two and a half hours and do 36 and five hours in carts. Um, I just feel, Sean, that we've got to start penalizing people. We've got to start making this information more public more often. We've got to start changing the way that, you know, someone's got a hack shot link. Not that I'm at, not that I'm advocating someone break a law, but the PGA Tour has this data. This is not about the lack of data. This is about slow guys and the PGA Tour being babies and not wanting to get them to speed up. And I think it affected Brooks Koepka on Sunday. I think it may have robbed us of seeing Brooks try to go one two one two one or whatever that would have been. Um, it would have been one two one two one. Yeah, he won the game one two one two four, which is you know. Wah, 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 um, which is insane. But, like, I just feel, and I know J.B. Holmes is the poster child for this uh, because of what happened at Tory last year before the Grammys, before what happened, I'm sorry, for what happened at, at the Genesis this year in that video that went viral of him taking 75 seconds to hit a, a, a three-and-a-half-foot putt. But, Sean, when your name is announced, you can't be 
just then getting into your routine on the first tee and taking 62 seconds. As somebody said on Twitter, he had 23 freaking hours to get this. And Brooks Kepka, have, have, uh, in, 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 in your time at uh, Florida State, uh, I assume you've, you've since or over the years have had multiple conversations with Mr. Kepka. Chatted with Brooks multiple times, uh, once at FSU and a few times when he was trying to get on the PGA Tour. And uh, I was out there following the tour for a couple of years. Um, and I'll put it this way, you know, with Brooks, and I found his press conference highly entertaining. Which I'm about to read you a quote from, yep. With when he was talking with about Ricky Elliott and what he brings to the table and how he knows do not talk about golf on the golf course, that sort of thing. And that's always been kind of the way Brooks has been. You know, if somebody in the media asks him a direct golf question, yeah, he'll answer it. But, you know, when you casually chat with Brooks, you know, for me, I think most of my conversations with him were, you know, at the time around Bay Hills, Alspar, uh, some of those tournaments, end of conference basketball play, beginning of the NCAA tournament, it was about the NCAA tournament, you know, and brackets and all that good stuff. Um, exactly. So, FSU and whatnot, but, you know, I, I've never really talked with him too, too much about, you know, governance issues on the tour, but I do know this. When it comes to just about anything, Brooks is a no-nonsense kind of guy. And uh, that was easily the worst kind of pairing he could have been in. Yes. Now, hold on for your thoughts here before I let you go roam free for as long as you want on this topic. This is what I do not understand. I've been accused of being too fast. I've actually had teachers tell me slow down, which is shocking, but I tend to play too fast. Um, we've got... Um, sorry, I was just thinking of something off topic. Um uh, which we'll bring up with Jordan Brookman on a, on, a, on, a, on a future podcast involving my bowling skills, which are not very good. Sorry, that's completely off topic. Um, this is his quote. I just always play. I'm ready to go most of the time. That's what I don't understand. When it's your turn to hit, your glove is not on, then you start thinking about it, and that's where the problem lies. It's not that he, meaning J.B. Holmes, takes that long. He doesn't do anything until it's his turn. That's the frustrating part. But he's not the only one that does it out here. How are we going to get this problem fixed, Sean, if we do not get these players playing faster? This is what I do not fucking get. And I'm sorry to curse, but I'm just livid at people who do not follow simple golf rules. You can be slow. I understand the wind's swirling. You're playing for multi-million dollars. But it's one thing if you're in a conversation with your caddy, like Spieth and Michael Greller are, trying to figure things out. And it's another if you're just starting your routine when it's your turn to hit. Sean, I do not get this. I just don't get this, and I think nothing will change unless we light these guys on fire and publish their times via shot link for all the world to see and embarrass these guys. Well... Major tip of the cap to Eduardo Molinari who did that, or was it was it Eduardo who did that on the European? Yes, tour? yes, yep. Major tip of the cap to him who did that on the European tour, and you can see not only uh, who took too long on particular shots, but 
how many times they had violated it, what, how, what the number was on that violation, and what the decision was from the European Tour. And more often than not, and it's not even just a PGA Tour thing, it's a global golf thing. You would see, at most, a verbal warning or a slap on the wrist. You don't see those shot, two shot, whatever, how many, whatever the penalty will be, penalty. And to answer your question, we're not going to get on top of it until penalties are assessed and until the reason for those penalties become public. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And that's not what's going to happen here. I mean, if you continue to allow them to take forever, just start their routines after a minute and a half when they should already have a club in hand, and you're not going to penalize them a shot, and you're not going to put it out there that, hey, this person has a tendency to take forever, then they're going to continue to take forever. It's just that simple. And I agree completely with you. The only way to get on top of it is to do something about it. Embarrass them, penalize them, whatever it takes. You've got to do something about it because doing nothing is becoming quickly um, an outdated option. And it never really was an option to begin with. It's just what the tour elected to do. Um, and I get it, you know, the weather was bad, it was awful, um, and I don't want to be so hard on J.B. Holmes because the dude's a good dude, you know, I, yeah. but the bottom line is, is that in my years of, before I started following the tour more closely, and the years I, I mean, was on the media beat for a couple of times for the Florida Swing, you know, I, growing up in Florida, there's family friends who played on tour and all that good stuff. And that's how I was introduced to the PGA Tour when I was a kid. I would say at least three or four times we've been paired with or behind J.B. Holmes' group. This is not a new problem at all. And we're going back to 07, 08, 09. I mean, we're going back to when Tiger was winning majors at an alarming clip here, and this was still a problem. I mean, it, it, something needs to be done. And it's not just JB, because I think Brooks was smart to mention there's a lot of guys out there who are very similar. But that's just the guy that, as good as he is, God bless him. Um, yeah, that's the problem I've noticed with that particular golfer going back to 07. It is now 2019 and something needs to be done. We're talking to Sean Davidson here on Teeing It Up. All right, here's, uh, we're, we're just going to start rolling through some names here um, as, as we are now on the backside of the Open. For me, Tommy Fleetwood is the next guy up, and I know this is really disappointing. He had so many opportunities in the first four or five holes on Sunday. But, man, this guy keeps putting himself in position time after time after time. It can only be a matter of time before he gets it done completely agree. Um, there is a chance there would be a three-shot swing on the first hole. We'd have a completely different open if he makes the birdie putt and Lowry misses the bogey putt. I mean, it, we could be talking about Tommy Fleetwood winning the open. And that was a horrible tee shot from Shane Lowry, which has gotten forgotten now, but that was nerves 1,000%. Absolutely. That's what I said. You know, he didn't show nerves often, and you could see he showed them early on Sunday, but you know, when Fleetwood's not making the putts alongside you, I, I think Fleetwood, with the putter, left at least 
four strokes out there on the first four or five holes. I mean, he, he easily, without a three-shot swing on the first hole, could have tightened that up to a one-shot lead for Lowry or maybe even tied it. I mean, it was one of those things that the door was left open for him. He couldn't make the putts. And I think that's more likely than not what leaves him wondering what could have been. Because if you make a few of those and you tighten things up on Shane, there's no guarantee that he's going to fold. There's no guarantee that he's going to fall apart. But you've made it more likely. You've ratcheted up the pressure a little bit more. But when he pours in a bogey putt and you can't pour in your birdie putt of similar length, you just went from a three-shot swing to picking up one. And while, yeah, that's nice, it doesn't do anything in comparison to a three-shot swing when the guy's got a four-shot lead. So those are the kinds of things that Tommy Fleetwood is going to be, I don't want to say kicking himself over, but he's going to, he's going to be scratching his head and wondering, what else do I need to do? And that's going to be the thing, making those key putts in key moments. And, you know, if it's a confidence thing, and I don't think it is, I just think it was he wasn't making them. Um, but if it is one of those things with his inner confidence, go back to the Ryder Cup. Channel that where you made everything. And he will win a major. I think he'll win multiple. It's just getting over the hump and winning the first one. Um, but the guy's got his best golf still ahead of him. And that's a scary thing because he's been playing darn good golf for the last few years now. But Fleetwood's the name to watch for sure. I am with you 1,000% on that. Um, Tiger, for me, is fine. And I think there's been some obituaries written about Tiger and misunderstanding his plight. To me, Tiger just can't play in cold weather. But I think that he sacrificed this tournament by making that family heritage trip to Thailand. That's not the best way to prep for the Open. But I think if you go back and ask him at the end of this year, what were your top two moments from 2019? It'll be Augusta and Thailand. I'm not sure what order it'll be, but it'll be somewhere in that order. I think Tiger's fine. Phil Mickelson, though... And Jordan Speed to me, are fascinating characters. Phil admits that he's lost and has gone through a swing change. Oh, sorry, a, a body change. That's uh, not very uh, uh, confidence-boosting. And Jordan Spieth can't hit a fairway. Now, Memphis is going to be easier than Portrush. But I'm confused, Sean. I'm just really confused as to why... Jordan Spieth, excuse me, especially it's taken this long to get back to his game. And people forget, Justin Thomas hasn't won in the 2019-20 season either. So, I mean, there's a lot of guys who have not won this year and don't have a ticket to Maui yet. But for, for my money, Sean Davidson here on Teeing It Up, um, it is the Spieth one that is really shocking to me. I'm very confused as to why he... Of those three guys, Tiger, Phil, Spieth, uh, it's it's the Spieth one that continues just to stick out at me as to where the heck is has his, has his form gone? It's been way too long. You know, I just checked the FedEx Cup standings. Um, you, you know, we've talked at length about the string of guys that have come on for from FSU and for better or worse, we've got two right now that are kind of hovering around 125, and I always check to see where they stand every week and to see how doable it is for them to make a move. And they've only got a couple of weeks now before the FedEx Cup playoffs start. 
But part of that, I'll look up and down the list, and it just struck me that Jordan Spieth was sitting 68 in the FedEx Cup standings. And I remember looking at that and thinking, well, at least he's into the first two events as of right now. And, and sort of thinking, oh, you know, at least he's playing a little bit better. Because I remember at one point in time when he was way down in the 100s and in the 90s, and we were at that part of the season where, you know, you get about 200-some-odd guys who play for points on the PGA Tour that he really was starting to play in some tournaments that he usually played well in, wasn't playing well, and the FedEx Cup points really weren't accumulating. So I saw him up at 68th, and I thought, oh, okay. And then I thought, this is a guy that I shouldn't be looking at at 68th in the FedEx Cup points list and going, oh, okay. Um, here's the thing that's so frustrating, and I don't think anybody needs to tell Jordan Spieth that it's frustrating because I guarantee nobody's more frustrated than he is. It's always one part of the game that seems to be the issue. You know, he couldn't, I don't want to say he couldn't, but the putter was not working for him last year. Ball striking seemed to be pretty good. Driving was okay, but he couldn't putt. This year, the putter looks like it did in 2015. Anything inside 15, 20 feet, it seems like he's pouring in. But the problem is, the ball striking doesn't seem to quite be there, and the driving certainly isn't there. To your so point, to your point, uh, this year, it would, it would help if I scroll correctly, he's seventh in strokes game putting. Last year, he was 123rd. But right now, off the tee, 178, approach to the green, 144. Around the green, though, he's 31st. The short game's there. The tee to green game is not. He's 149th in that category. But the thing that is so alarming to me about Jordan Spieth, and I think this will punctuate your point, is what do we always say? It's one part of the game that gets exposed. Sorry, it's the part of the game that gets exposed when the pressure gets turned on, right? Isn't that what we always talk about and what Johnny always talked about is, uh, this is the wrong category, um, is that, you know, there's stuff that, that, that really gets punctuated by weekend, uh, sorry, by, by the big moments. Round one scoring average, folks. So this is Thursday. Ah, we're starting the golf tournament. Ah, yes, I'm excited to be here. Isn't it great to be here, Sean? Isn't it just so great to be here? 17th in round one, scoring average for Jordan Spieth. Uh, round two, it's moving day. All right, let's let's just make sure we get the weekend, get a nice primetime spot on, on a Friday. Guess what? He's second in, in second round scoring. All right, it's now moving day. It's Saturday. We got to get ourselves in position. We got to start up on this. Folks, there are 198 players who qualify for the category of scoring in the third round on the PGA Tour. Jordan Spieth is 165th in that category. And finally, Sean Davison, final round scoring average. This is the wrong stat, here we go. Final round scoring average. Sean, this is where you make your money. This is where you get your check. There are 198 guys for final round scoring average. And take a guess what Jordan Spieth is. Gotta be somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 to 198. 197. Yeah. He's next to last. And that's where these ball striking issues get exposed. Yep. Yep. 10 locations are tougher. 
the moment gets tougher, the spotlight gets brighter, and that's where your weaknesses are going to be exposed. And I get it. Short games look great. The putter has looked even more so. Bottom line, if you're chipping and putting for scores that you don't want to card, what does it matter? You know, you're making cuts, but if these are 15-foot par putts that you're making that might go down as a one-putt, sure, that helps the putting stats, and sure, it's a good, you know, it looks good to the eye, but still a 15-footer for par. That's the problem. You have to make a 15-footer for par. And it's a shame because when everything else seemed to be in gear, because there were times last year where the putter looked pretty good, people were going, oh, just the ball striking. If he could get that ball striking cleaned up. Then when he was striking the ball pretty well, it was, man, if he could just make a putt. This year, he's not hitting fairways. He's not hitting many greens. And sure, he's getting up and down and he's making par saves and he's making his share of birdie putts. And to your point about first and second round scoring averages, there's these, I would not be shocked if for, I would say, at least the fourth or fifth time this year. I know Riviera was one where he led after one round. And I know there's a few others where he either led or was second after the first round in a PGA Tour event. I would not be shocked if Jordan Spieth is somewhere in the top two, three, four on Thursday. He does get off to pretty good starts. And then it all falls apart, as you mentioned, on the weekend. I didn't have the specific numbers like you were able to provide. But I think the casual viewer or somebody who just watches and pays a little bit more attention to it can kind of see just where he is on the leaderboard and where he starts to tumble and when his name starts to disappear from those first couple of pages on your weekend network coverage, that, yeah, his problem is on the weekend. He's too talented. He's too special to continue to struggle. He's strung together three top tens. If it wasn't for Brooks kept it going super low at Beth Page, very easily could have won the PGA. That, 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 that's where he has the bulk of his FedEx Cup points. He got 160 through that T3 finish. Yeah. And did he sneak into the top 10 at the Open? Uh, no, top 20, uh, 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 top 20 at the Open Championship. His three best finishes this year are a third at the PGA, an eighth at Colonial, a seventh at um, Memorial. Yeah, so he strung those three together, and then I wasn't sure where he fell in with relation to the top ten. And that's basically 310 or so FedEx Cup points, and he currently has 544. So that just shows you where the bulk of his FedEx Cup points have come from. He's going to figure it out. Um, And I don't know how long it's going to take. You know, he's young, but he's supremely talented. And we've seen the mental strength at its best when nothing was going right at the Open Championship two years ago and then he went on that torrid run to more or less what felt like steal an Open Championship from Matt Kuchar who was steady Eddie all afternoon gave himself an opportunity and really didn't do anything wrong on those last four or so holes coming into the house he just went nuts and went birdie birdie eagle birdie or something like that to win that Open when everything else seemed to be going wrong Bogey, birdie, eagle, birdie, par. There you go. Or birdie, and, and birdie, par. Uh, let me map this out. So it's it's 13. So it was bogey, birdie, eagle, birdie. 
13, 14, 15, uh, 16, birdie, par. So, yeah, bogey, birdie, eagle, birdie, birdie, par. And that bogey was from the driving range. Yes. And inbounds driving range. If there was not internal out-of-bounds at Portrush, Rory makes the weekend. So, there you go about out-of-bounds. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, the fact that we've seen him dig deep and do that, I don't worry long-term about his mentality. It's the short-term where you wonder, when exactly is this kid going to get it all back? The mechanics of the swing... You know, I'm a firm believer that throughout the course of a season, throughout the course especially of an off-season, when they get to go home and spend a few months with him, it'll be Cameron McCormick, he'll figure something out, and he'll come back to some tournaments in Hawaii in the calendar year. I know that the tour schedule starts in the fall, um, but, you know, say just the off month, November, December, there'll be the President's Cup, but he'll get to come back and play some tournaments in Hawaii that he's familiar with. It'll feed into Torrey Pine. And he'll get to play some of these tracks that he's played well on, that he's won on in the past, if you go back to the uh, Papalua tournament. And I think when we get started in the next year, I feel like with the putter and with the short game, if you can work out your full swing, whatever that tweak is you have to make, whatever that little fix is you have to make, I think we're going to see a different and much better Jordan Spieth in 2020. Now, the concern is what do we see for the rest of 2019? The answer to that question is I don't know. But I'm not too concerned about him long term. I know you mentioned Justin Thomas. And my question with that, and again, not being out there, not being able to ask the questions, how much of that is that lingering injury issue that he had to withdraw from the three tournament for? Because that sort of put a pause to what seemed like a pretty good year that was building. You know, he hadn't won yet. He contended a few times. In fact, J.D. Holmes won at Riviera when Justin Thomas very well could have. Um, but it seemed after that, the injury issue, withdrawing from a few tournaments, he hasn't quite, since coming back from that injury, been able to regain his status as a multiple-time winner of season on the PGA Tour. And I get it. It's tough. When we're talking just majors, we're talking about a new guy winning a major every time we're on this podcast. You multiply that by all the tournaments that they play and the string of tournaments where we had Matthew Wolf and Nate Lashley winning tournaments. Of course it's tough to win out there. Um, but I, for me, JT might be more of an injury issue and in how long it's going to take for him to get fully healthy. He might be good to go to play, but is he feeling 100%? I don't know. I'm not going to speculate, but that's always my first question when I've seen a guy withdraw and, and not play in a few tournaments due to an injury. All right, Sean Davidson here on Teeing It Up. My final question for you. Top 10 of the FedEx Cup right now is Kepka, Kucher, Rory, Shoffley, Woodland, Cantlay, DJ, Casey, Ricky, Rom. 11 through 20 is Rose, Reevy, Finau, Charles Howell, Leishman, Bryson, JT, Lowry, Adam Scott, Fleetwood, Kisner, Molinari, Ryan Palmer, Sunjay M, who has played 31 events. 31, Sean. That's absurd. Scott Piercy, Webb Simpson, Tiger, Sung Kang, Hideki Matsuyama, and Lucas Glover. That's your top 30. Who wins the FedEx Cup? Just give me a name. 
The way he plays in big events with big money and big trophies on the line, it's hard to bet against Brooks Kepka. If I am going to pick somebody who I think is going to win the FedEx Cup instead, I'm going to go with the guy who I think has played the most consistently well without as much fanfare, but a guy who has been almost like a rolling ATM all year. And if you look at Rory, he's been buoyed by a couple of wins in Canada and at TPC. Max Future, the story for me, although he has strung together some top 10 cents, was how fantastic that fall stretch was for him going into Hawaii as well. My guy that I'm going to keep an eye on, I don't know if he's going to win the FedEx Cup, but I think he'll have something to say, is Patrick Cantlay. So if you're looking for me to have a dark horse, a guy who's going to string together some top 10, he's going to be one of those guys who has a more legitimate shot at East Lake to pick up a trophy and a FedEx Cup win as well. I'm going to say Cantlay could be the guy who comes in there, who nobody talks about, and he can spoil the party, if you will, because the kid's playing really well. He's put himself in contention more times than not. He's played great in tournaments. He has a win this year. He's up in the top 10 of the FedEx Cup for a reason. And I just don't see really any weaknesses. He hasn't won as much. It hasn't been as flashy as Brooks Kepka would have been. It's not as flashy as what Rory McIlroy has done at times. But that kid's going to stick around the top five, top ten of the FedEx Cup standings. And if he can position himself high enough and have a week good enough at Eastlake, he very well could win this thing, and I wouldn't put it past him doing so. We are um, talking to Sean Davison, and my winner... If it was the old format, I'd say Brooks under this new format. I have no idea. So I'm going to say that uh, Justin uh, Rose wins it. No, Tony Finau wins it. People complain and they go back to a different format for 2020. That's just a guess. Because under this new format, you got to make up 10 shots if you're 30th. So anybody can win this thing. Um so I just don't know, but I, I do like that Patrick Cantley pick. If if he has a good week um, at Eastlake, it very much could be him. Sean, uh, thanks as always for coming on Teeing It Up. All right, thanks as always for having me. And thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.